Hi, Creepers. This is Unexplained Oregon, a podcast with two best friends talking about all things creepy, the unexplained, and the missing in the Pacific Northwest. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Unexplained Oregon. You can also email us at unexplainedoregon at gmail.com. We love our listeners' suggestions, and we love hearing from you. That reminds me, if you're a friend of the podcast and you want more people to find out about us, can you take a minute to go on Apple Podcast and give us a good rating? We appreciate that. Kim and I talk about real-life intense subjects on this podcast that could be disturbing to some listeners. We also use bad language. As always, be mindful and take care of yourselves. We we start out like this every time. I'm so happy to see you. We're back. We're back at it. We do start it out. And although it feels like we just recorded with each other, (laughs) it probably doesn't feel like that way to our listeners, right? Um, But today we're going to do a little bit of catch up and say hi to everybody and just tell you what we've been up to. Yeah. I mean, we we had some big projects. Uh, We had put out the Perrydale episodes that you're talking about, Kim. That was, you know, those were pretty powerful episodes. And prior to doing, um, or after we recorded those, and in the midst of editing all that, we were invited to go to the Pacific Northwest True Crime Convention in Auburn, Washington. And that was super exciting. So that was kind of in the mix of it all, too, which is why you know, episodes get put out or not put out because we have life and all these things happening. And uh, the podcast is important and the topics are important. And, uh, you know, getting together to record is important, but it's just it all takes time. So we were asked to do this conference. And, uh, you know, I think I was going through losing my mom at the time when we were asked and I think we both just kind of said, okay, let's say yes, and then figure out later if we want to do it. And then... Yeah, we had had plenty of time, we agreed. But then when it came closer to the convention time in the fall, we were like, wait, what are we doing? Exactly. I mean, I remember our little videos back and forth, and we had decided not to do it. And then we actually went back and read the contract that we signed. (laughs) And... uh said that we would have had to find another podcast to replace us. And we're like, you know what, let's just do it. Let's use this as a distraction, you know, and get some energy back into Unexplained Oregon. I really used it as, okay, let this light the fire under me again for our little passion here. And so I started to pour some candles as giveaways, right? Because at that point, we're like, we'll give away stickers We're not going to spend a lot of money on merch, obviously. We're just going to throw this thing together and uh, do this. And so this was back in early October. So Dave and Maya, which is your husband and your daughter, and they've been on our podcast before. So I think that's perfect. They 
agreed to come and help us. Yeah, I mean, we tried to get everybody to go to this thing, right? Like, we... I think at first I was like, oh my gosh, we got invited to this, you know, to be podcasters, uh, you know, presenters at this convention. And we were shocked that anyone would want us to come along and or to be there. And then, of course, we, you know, I tried to get everybody from my friends and family to go. I really thought it would be a ton of people. Uh, And you're so funny because I was exact opposite. I didn't tell anyone that we were doing it because I'm like no one needs to come (laughs) watch us up there man I think it's my performer side where I'm like I just picture looking out into the audience and seeing all the people that love me and all of my fans (laughs) I don't know no I'm totally kidding like but I do have that sort of performance part of me that I just pictured like this is something that you and I are really passionate about and we really care about and I think what made it more complicated is the location was just far enough away that the people we know that live closer are still not close enough. It was in kind of a, <laughs> was it, it was close enough for us to go, but not close enough for everyone else to kind of get there without making like a pretty significant effort. It was a big effort for us to do it. Like, you're about three hours from me, so you guys got in the car, Mm -hmm. made it here by, like, 11 or noon, and then we were a good four to five hours from the destination. Oh, yeah. Dave had us, and Maya, we were ready to go. We had the dogs. We had Benji and Jess. Maya, uh, we had snacks. We came and grabbed you, got back on the road, and, you know, I had gotten us this Airbnb, Uh, And I was super excited because I love, I love going places like probably, I don't know what it is about my weirdness, but like, I love going like overnight places, Mm -hmm. bed and breakfast, Airbnbs, whatever. So I found us this place in Auburn. I was a little worried, had never really been to Auburn. I had heard a bunch of stories about the town, good, bad. Well, what's interesting, Christine, is we were right Our conference was held at the Green River Conference Center, and the Airbnb was, like, down the road from the river, you know, this Green River serial killer that we all know of. So it it was just like this, I don't want to say creepy Airbnb, but I'm with you. I will always choose going with, like, an Airbnb over, like, a a motel that's closer to the venue, right? Yeah, we knew some other podcasters, uh, like Elise from True Crime Cat Lawyers. She was staying at, like, you know, a a hotel that was, like, a chain, and we could have done that. And, but everything was still kind of far away. So I thought, let's just get this Airbnb, which ended up being like on this Christmas tree farm. Uh, And I mean, it was awesome because we all, there was room for all of us. The doggies could be there and there was like a fire pit. Yeah. I mean, it turned out to be a great spot and, and Dave drove us around all weekend. So he got us back and forth between everything. And Maya was a champ. We definitely could not have pulled the whole thing off without Dave and Maya, which is so great. And they loved being there with us. They they were just as passionate about it as us, which was so great. Absolutely. We had no idea awesome. what we were getting. Sorry, Kim. <laughs> we had no idea. That's the caffeine. Uh, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And I cannot believe we pulled it off. And I was, I mean, we had a bowl of candy. We had stickers. We had your amazing candles, which... 
I think drew in, you know, a lot of folks to our table because people love merchandise or they love free things. And uh, we gave away a sweatshirt and met really cool people and new podcasters. We did. We That was one of the most exciting things about the weekend was we were, you know, the first day was it was kind of like a everybody had their booths. There was a bunch of uh, merchandisers there with a bunch of cool stuff to sell crystals and stickers and all kinds of things we were hung over we were a little hungover, <laughs> but not bad we kept ourselves no, in we check because we had to be you know we had to be on our focused. yeah so we ended up I think when we got there Friday night they had a little meet and greet and you know we were the first ones there obviously because Kim hates to be late so if you say it's five o'clock I'm going to be there at five and it's down in this little bar and you know everybody starts coming in and everybody's just kind of sitting with their own little group and it was interesting and we very well could have just had drinks and left and you know but we decided no let's let's get up and meet some of these people which I'm proud of us for doing that by the way mm-hmm. and so that one mean, of I the took first some liquid courage it did it did but you know we're older now we're confident we don't you know I don't care what you think this is this is me so the one of the first people we met was Danielle and Z from Ghost and Hose which is a really cool podcast that everybody should check out and of course that first connection was with the ghosts right mm-hmm. so we had some really cool ghost talks one of the cool things about Z I just want to mention is um, she shared with us that she can tune in to uh, art when she's feeling stuff. So there's been a couple times where they go on location and do these ghost hunts and she's tapped in psychically somehow and it's come out with her drawing a picture. And so, I mean, we talked for a good hour with her about this, but we actually asked Z if she'd be interested in talking to us about Angie's story. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that comes to fruition because we want her to draw a picture of the hat man I hope so too I'm gonna work with her on that so yeah and then we met some we met uh, Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh from Not So LA Confidential a really good podcast I mean so professional (laughs) compared to what we put out there these are like professional psych uh what are they forensic psychologists Mm -hmm. that are that used to work uh in LA and their podcast, everyone needs to check that out is so fascinating. They really dive into like the psychology of the crime and, and they were so nice and you could tell they were just very professional, but still just really cool to talk to very down to earth. Absolutely. I felt like they kind of took us under their wings because we had never done anything like this. And, you know, they are people that have been using like, um, sponsors and editors and like they were, you know, they have, they're in magazines, like they are, they are (laughs) slick. Okay. And they are, they're, you know, they're people that are using like their professional background to inform their podcast. I mean, so it was their episode that they had at the convention was really amazing. Remember it was on Incels. Incels. Yes. It was really fascinating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then we met some gals from another Pacific Northwest uh, podcast called What Happens in the Woods. They were 
they were really receptive to what we were covering, which we're going to talk about today. Very sweet ladies. Mm-hmm. We were able to see uh, Elise from True Crime Cat Lawyer, which we've collaborated with her. So it was just Yay. good to see her in person. Yeah, we and got we to made, meet her. Yeah, we made a really good connection with Crime Door. And this is, we're going to take a second and talk about Crime Door. It's because we're really excited about it. If you haven't checked out Crime, Crime Door, there is an app that you can download. And then they also have a daily TV show. And I'm picking it up on Tubi. I know you can pick it up on Tubi and other locations. And the Roku channel, I believe. Yeah, so yeah. the app is the app is one thing and then the TV show is something different. Exactly. And so we ended up connecting with these gals at Crime Door and uh, made this connection with them and they had said, yeah, we're interested in having you on our TV show. And we're like, no way. We don't even believe this is happening. We'll never hear from them again. I'm obviously start laughing uncontrollably in her face. Like, what are you thinking? You know, anyway, what I really do like about Crime Door, if you guys go and check them out, is they seem to align with what we are trying to do, which is bring stories to light that haven't hit mainstream media or don't get the normal coverage that they deserve. And they do cover all the mainstream media mm-hmm. cases and all that as well. But their basic mission really aligns was with what we're throwing out there as well. So we had a really good time meeting those ladies and and then made this connection. And we've actually been on the TV show. Couple I know times. I still can't believe this and we actually like we uh, we actually held our held it together to be yeah like... <laughs> I mean the first taping we were in my bedroom and like you can see my bed in the background and stuff but it, I Jane we're not up. I know we don't have like a soundproof booth that we're recording in and, and like a designated area that we record this podcast in so well, we're but... still pretty what I think was really good about this, Kim, is you've got their app, which if if you want to download their app, Crime Door, it's it's a one-stop shop, basically. The whole concept with Crime Door, the app, is that they will and they upload everything that is out there about the crime. So if you're talking, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said, they cover Jean Benet, they cover the Delphi murders, they have virtual crime scenes in there let's not even go there because kim was <laughs> no, at the convention there. screaming okay okay i'm not very experienced with virtual glasses like i don't so we put them on and it's just kind of weird anyway and i'm walking through the basement where john benet was found and you like you can turn and see her laying there and yes i did let out a scream <laughs> Just a few people heard you. It's okay. I was over at the same time with the virtual set on and I was on the Delphi bridge and it was amazing because like we were actually talking about the height of the bridge and like the actual like, so you could like walk across it. You could see the girls, you could see who the suspect was. And this was of course before they, they made the arrest Uh, but yeah, so Crime Door, they've got the virtual aspects. Uh, you can submit 
also cases and crimes that you would like them to cover or put into the app. I've done that with a couple of our cases. And like you said, Kim, Crime Door TV is a separate thing, which is a daily crime show uh, five days a week, I believe they air mm-hmm. it. So it's, I think, is it 30 minutes long? Yeah, it's about 30 minutes long and they break it. They do a really good job of breaking out the episode into these segments. So um, I think it's just exciting we're on there and that, you know, we, at first, we our first reaction was let's not do this conference. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of turn it around in our heads and decided to just do it. Let's wing it. Let's just go up there and be us. And then we ended up walking away with some really cool connections. We walked away rejuvenated. I thought, you know, we have our episode from the convention, the recording of it, but we've decided not to use that. But we still want to talk about the case that we covered for the convention. Exactly. Uh, Because at first, this wasn't the case we were going to cover. They actually suggested a different case. We didn't know what we were going to (sighs) cover. I yeah. Know. And then we told them we were going to cover what was the gal's name? I know we have we sad. have like a list y'all of like people thought we just we wanted to, it to be unique, but we also um we just couldn't land on one that we were both feeling like passionate about. So we were going to do How to Murder Your Husband. Right. The the author that I think her name's Brophy is her last name. I think it's Catherine. I'm not sure. But, and, you know, I started to watch her, started to research. And you're right. Like, we just didn't feel like something that we were both passionate about. And so you were actually online and had run across this information of an actual crime from, um, this woman was from Auburn, Washington. Mm -hmm. And the Tacoma Police Department was starting uh, an initiative on cold case files. And Diana Davis was one of their first cases highlighted that they were re-releasing information on these cases and you had happened upon it. And I think gravitated to it. And we're gonna talk about her today. Uh, This is what we ended up talking about at the conference and uh, making flyers and having them there at our table during that first Saturday. And then we talked about her on Sunday morning. But as, you know, people were walking through and coming up and getting their free candle, because you're right, if you if you say anything's free and it, and it even looks remotely cute, that's going to like pull people into the table, right? Absolutely. We're going to post pictures also. Um, yeah. I don't know if we ever posted them. I, th- I think I waited, but I have a couple photos of, of our table. Uh, it was oh, decked good. out. We were decked out like... We had a huge flyer um, printed out of this this uh, particular case that we cover. And yeah. it was just... Go ahead. So as people were walking through, Dave and Maya had ran to Kinko's Forest, like on the fly, and printed this huge color um, Crime Stoppers flyer of Diana. And I still we have had the flyer. Mm-hmm. And it just all came together. And I was asking everybody walking through, you know, where are you from? Most everybody up there was from the area. And then we were asking everyone, well, have you heard about Diana? And I think we were both shocked at how many people said no. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, by the end of the day, I was getting a little hangry and tired and pretty passionate about people not knowing who she is, mm-hmm. right? Especially if you're from that area, you need to know this case. This yeah. is 
why don't people know Diana's name? This is an outrage. So we both had our passion running high when we sat down to talk about Diana. And I think we encouraged a lot of people to come that next morning and we had a full house Mm -hmm. and we were up on the stage with a big screen behind us telling everybody about Diana. So we just wanted to kind of talk about Diana today and let you know, uh, because since we've been up there doing that, another podcast has released more information on her. The Unsolved Mysteries podcast has come out with an episode on Diana. So we're going to touch base a little bit on that today. Absolutely. But yeah, this case came upon your lap and we both felt drawn to it because Diana Davis was a 50-year-old, beautiful woman living her peaceful life in Auburn, Washington. She was a mother and a caregiver and uh, just living her her best life. And Diana was last seen attending her space at Proctor Community Garden on Monday, July 27th, 2020. We're gonna take you back to around COVID time Mm -hmm. during this crime. And so whatever happened to Diana, really all the elements of what was happening in the world and everything really came together and caused this storm. So as I was saying, she was last seen attending her space at Proctor Community Garden on Monday, July 27th, 2020. Um, And she had actually talked to her son that morning on the way to the garden. And then she was seen later on at a hardware store and on surveillance video in her vehicle and there was some pings going on that they have in her car so they know she was at this hardware store and then by tuesday the following day diana was not heard from from her family or friends which was very rare in this instance because she was actually someone that talked to her kids every day on the phone Mm -hmm. so when they hadn't heard from her big red flag went up and they reported her as a missing person So that was Tuesday the following day. On Wednesday, that next day at around 11 p.m., her car was actually found on fire in an alley in Tacoma. Uh, Her purse was located inside the vehicle and the license plates were missing. Uh, They were able to pull some VIN information and figure out that she was a missing person and there had been Uh, there had been some investigation to find out where she was, you know. And then, sadly, eight days later, Diana was found by someone walking their dog. Uh, She had been buried in a shallow grave near Small Colony Pass. Uh, Cause of death was blunt force trauma to the face and head, and they did find partial male DNA on her body, but since then this case has gone cold Mm -hmm. and there hasn't been any information there are some theories of what happened and we're going to kind of go into that especially because unsolved mysteries does uh, go into more of those theories yeah so we did this we covered diana davis in october for the convention and then uh, i was so like stunned to um you know pull up my weekly episode of Unsolved Mysteries, which is like my favorite podcast right now. It's pretty, um, pretty similar to the TV show. Uh, and, you know, I, we saw that that they had covered Diana's case. Uh, the, the title of, of their episode is Flirting with Death, which 
will kind of give you like more information of of her background and what was happening at the time. I don't really like the title of that episode and we'll talk about that more later. This is a story of a lady who was just living like her best life, right? She had family, she had friends, she was a caregiver by trade, that was her profession. You know, she was a grandmother. Uh, and she, you know, yes, you set up kind of the, the timeline was imagine like that first summer of COVID, right? So, and it also happened to be during Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Diana is, uh, you know, half black, half Korean. Mm -hmm. What was her, do you have like, she was five, two, kind of a smaller size, very petite. Not that we, um, you know, not that we need to like talk about like her appearance but it is important when we we kind of mention like she was attractive and she was um you know her size makes a difference I think in cases like this too she was also just spunky and you know passionate and she was savvy and smart so what we know about diana is not only looking at sort of the timeline of it being covid black lives matter the first summer of covid when things were kind of shut down you know everyone was still at home a lot of people weren't working a lot of um businesses were closed still so the world was still kind of on hold at this time in 2020 Diana was, uh, had cut back her hours at work. Uh, and, you know, that's some information that the pod, the Unsolved Mysteries podcast had shared. I want to preliminarily say that we had reached out to the detective on this case who has been working this case from the beginning and he did not speak with us directly. So that's why we were super excited to listen to the Unsolved Mysteries episode because the detective is actually on the podcast. There is so much more information than what they've put out in the news conferences or in the news reports. Mm -hmm. There's more information than we were able to gather from a family member that we had been speaking to, which was her son. Uh, and on the podcast is also her one of her good friends, a friend that has been um, in her life since they were 13. I don't I can't speak to whether or not they were best friends, but this friend does seem to know a lot and she's become kind of the spokesperson uh, that the police have utilized. I don't know that the family has agreed to it, but by everything we can tell, the law enforcement has utilized this friend of Diana's in all the press conferences and in Unsolved Mysteries. <sighs> I got that all. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, so when we sat up for a mm -hmm. conference, and luckily we were pretty shocked when Diana's son agreed to talk to us, right? And you had actually had, I think, over an hour and a half conversation with him to talk about Diana. And so we really did get to know her a little bit. Absolutely. You know, it brought a little bit, it made it hit home a little bit harder for us, I think, after talking to our son. Um, and then I also feel like he felt a little heard. He had some, you know, choice words about what was going on in the investigation at the time. But really our focus for doing this conference and putting this information out there, number one was just to get her name out there. Uh, because people just didn't know who she is. They don't know who she is. And everybody should. 
Well, or they knew who she was maybe at the time because I think this was publicized, you know, how it goes into the news and it's like so shocking and then it goes away mm-hmm. because people either think it's been solved or they, mm-hmm. you know, they forget because we move on with our lives. So this, you know, this was for us the perfect case to cover because we were going to be in Auburn. It's a case from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and it's a person of color. It made sense that we we sort of uh, showcase Diana. And what I want to say about her, you know, with all the, the background that we already shared about her life and who she was, I know uh, we like to really focus on that as well. Like, you know, she was mm-hmm. uh, an avid gardener, right? Like she loved watching Netflix. She... Um, You know, she had grown up in Spokane, but then moved to like the Tacoma area. She was, at the time of her disappearance, she had been dating someone uh, and had been in a relationship with him. I mean, in the podcast Unsolved Mysteries, he was considered, they call him her boyfriend. Uh, I think they Mm -hmm. were in an open relationship. And even before COVID, according to her friend from uh, Unsolved Mysteries podcast, she was dating and looking to settle down with someone like that is what she was looking for and she had been dating for a while and then COVID hit and from what we understand um, you know for many of us the whole world stopped but she in particular was pretty nervous about Mm -hmm. catching or contracting COVID as many of us were so at that point in time with everything going on and according to her friends she was not like actively dating in the way that she had before and and we're gonna talk a little bit about the timeline kim so uh on the the night of the 26th what we learned uh which was new information from unsolved mysteries she had been with her current boyfriend he lived in tacoma she lived in Auburn and um, worked in Tukwila. So these are all like around each other near Seattle or up near Seattle, um, up in that vicinity. She was had a conversation with her boyfriend at the time, which was considered like a disagreement on the commitment level of their relationship. Diana was looking for a commitment. She was looking for a long-term partner and relationship. And this particular person did not want that, did not want the same level of commitment. So we know that the night of the 26th, there was a discussion, disagreement of some sort that happened between Diana and her current boyfriend they were in an open relationship. He would wanted to continue that. And from what I understand, Diana did not want that. She wanted like, you know, a long-term commitment. She wanted to get married again or get married. On the 27th, which is the day, the last day that, that anyone spoke with Diana, she was went to work that day for a little bit. And then she went back to her boyfriend's house and... Uh, let him know that she was going to go to the the garden. She had a plot at the local community garden in Tacoma. She spent a lot of time there. She loved her garden area there. Uh, I think it was a place of, you know, like-minded people. You know, she would socialize. She would also have, like, funny little spats with people there about, like, your plants are growing in my space and, you know, uh, so there was maybe sometimes a little bit of drama there. Uh, but she was pretty well known for like her tomatoes. 
And on that day, on the 27th, she had actually sent her boyfriend a picture of a tomato. And she let him know that she was going to pick it and that they were going to eat it together later that night. So that's actually some pretty important information because he was the last one to actually, I guess, hear from her or receive a text from her. We also know that she spoke with her son, Chris, for a while on the phone before she went to the community garden that day. We know that for sure because Chris told us. Right. She made it to the garden that day. Someone actually saw her there. So there is a witness that saw her at her community garden. Uh, And then after the garden, she left and went to a hardware store. Now, on the way from the community garden to the hardware store, there was actually... um, surveillance video caught of her. At that point in time, there was no one in her car with her and no one following her, which was a a bit of information that the detective gave up in Unsolved Mysteries. I hadn't even thought about like, was anyone following her? When we did this for the convention, I was thinking about, was anyone in her car? I hadn't like even thought, huh, could someone strangely, you know, was there any, anyone near her? Yeah, that was some good information. They didn't sense or feel that anyone was following her when they saw her in that surveillance video. And that was on the way to a hardware store. Right. Yes. And a little bit more information came out in Unsolved Mysteries about the hardware store, right? Yeah, so we got we didn't have. we got the name of the hardware store, which was Ace Hardware. Yes. We had tried to figure that out. We could never find out which store it was. We found out where that was or, or the name of it. She was in that hardware store for um, I think it was around like 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And what we know is that um, the gal working in the store reported remembering Diana in there and remembering that she was, it appeared like she was wasting time. Most people don't go in the store and walk around and take that much time. It's not a very big store. Mm -hmm. It seemed pretty obvious that that's what Diana was doing. And we know that she left without buying anything. And that also is really unusual, according to her son. He, He couldn't imagine her going in there number one, and taking as much time she did as she did without buying something, he said that that sounded unusual. Right. So, a uh, quick little breakdown. 27th, she goes to work. She goes to her boyfriend's house. She reports to him that she's going to her community garden. She arrives at the garden after talking with her son on the phone, Chris. Uh, she was seen at the garden. She was then seen leaving the garden in her vehicle without any um, anyone in it or anyone following her that looked suspicious. She then goes to a mm-hmm. hardware store, a small hardware store, for about 50 minutes and behaves unlike her. Uh, not anything mm-hmm. that stands out and, you know, but but also kind of strange. After the hardware store, she gets... She starts to go south, and then she gets on um, the highway and goes north and heads to Seattle. And at about, she actually goes to Lumen Field, which is in Seattle, and about 7.46 p.m., her phone turns off that day. Well, we don't know if she was at Lumen Field, right? We know that her phone 
turns off at Lumen Field. So we know she's at Ace Hardware. The next thing we know is her phone is pinged near Lumen Field up near Seattle and is turned off. So there, there's no surveillance of that being Diana. Also, her friend mentions in the episode that it would be very rare for Diana to go to Seattle if she was meeting someone or or whatever, it, it would be rare for her to go all the way to Seattle mm-hmm. to do this because she was pretty paranoid about catching COVID. Right, her right? friend said that this didn't seem like her at all uh, to be going out right now. And we, you're right, Kim, we don't know whether or not that was actually her after leaving the hardware store. What we do know is that her phone and her vehicle went up into that area and then her phone was turned off. We know that it was really normal for her if she was at work or on a date to turn her phone off. Which is interesting information, you know. I think her son shared Diana had a life, you know, even though we talked, I talked to my mom every day, which is rare. And Mm -hmm. when I heard that, I'm like, wow, that's great. Um, He taught, yeah, she talked to his sister too, I think, pretty regularly. Every day, but even in spite of that, they both knew she had her own thing going Mm -hmm. on. And so it sounded to me like even if she had a date or something, she wouldn't necessarily feel the need to share that with her son and daughter, right? I mean, she had her own thing going on. Right, which made this part kind of interesting because I don't think people were necessarily, maybe not her family, like on high alert because she's a 50-year-old adult who has a life of her own uh, and like her kids aren't going to be tracking her down. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were times where she would go for a day or two and they, you know, do her own thing. Uh, But by that evening when her boyfriend had not heard from her he actually did contact family I believe and then you know by the next day I believe he contacted law enforcement and filed a report a missing persons report and they did a welfare check so that kind of got the ball rolling which leads us into you know what happened next when they did the welfare check as far as we know they they didn't find anything I don't know if they actually entered her apartment but they did go to her apartment for that welfare check. Mm -hmm. And that leads us into uh, Wednesday, right, Kim? Yeah, so again, Wednesday around 11 p.m., Diana's car was found on fire in an alley in Tacoma. And when we were up at the conference, we met some cool ladies. Do you remember the ladies from the area? They spent a lot of time with us, like, mapping out where the car was found in an area that was um, a lot of homeless people down there, right? Uh, that kind of closed down at night. Right. It was considered like tent city. She, They said that it was near like the courthouses, the things that are open during the day, but at like five o'clock, you know, you know, everything down there is like shut down. Yeah. So it seemed very deliberate where the car was put like whoever set that car on fire although they're setting the car on fire you know and wanting it to be found they did it in an area that was kind of off the beaten path per se right yeah it was a really particular but also kind of maybe in a place where 
you wouldn't be seen or if somebody did see you, nobody would say anything because it's, you know, in the evening, you know, it's kind of utilized by the houseless population versus like business people or, you know, so so it seems pretty strategic for where it was placed. I'm sure mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. Well, and the license plates were license gone. License plates were gone. Her purse was inside, correct? Mm-hmm. That, yes, and no that's sign of Diana. Mm-hmm. I want to add that law enforcement came to the scene. Like you had said, Kim, they found the VIN number, contacted the police, and found out that it was actually linked to Diana and that there had been a report already placed. When they later, uh, you know, did an investigation on the vehicle, they found that the fire had actually originated in the back passenger compartment. And uh, that's really unusual, according to Detective Nasworthy, who is the detective on the case and has been from the beginning. It's unusual because most of the time fires will start near the engine. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how often, I'm guessing, like, if they're accidental fires. I don't know if when people try to set things on fire that they would use, like, the engine area more good to know i know i i don't know this is all think about that i've never thought about it before either they got a hold of her family let you know we found her vehicle and what we know is uh you know, that kind of set some things in place and motion for like her children that and Chris, who we spoke to, who was living in Spokane at the time. I mean, I can't even imagine this, but he literally like got into his vehicle and drove to, you know, Tacoma in the middle of the night, ended up going to her apartment, sleeping for a little bit. And their plan was to go to the scene and, uh, figure out what had happened and that you know their experience around the disappearance of of their mom I imagine is like every other family member or friend or whatever when something like this happens to a family member I mean you've never navigated this before uh it's like you can't believe it's actually happening to someone that you know because it feels like this is something maybe from a movie uh and law enforcement was proceeding in the way that they do and family was proceeding in the only way they knew how to and I don't know Mm -hmm. if at this time with the level of like the heightened uh, tension with Black Lives Matters and just COVID it seems like in the beginning at least according to Chris things were tense and Mm -hmm. and that kind of set in motion maybe interactions that weren't so helpful uh, and and maybe, you know, even in terms of where the relationship is now with law enforcement. Uh, and so that's a whole nother side story of what was going on. And mm-hmm. once they found the vehicle, you know, I think Chris, Chris knew at that point that something was was definitely mo- wrong. I mean, his mom would have never been in that part of town. Uh, of course, you know, they had to look at was this something that she did to her own vehicle you know, I think they were looking at everything at that point because she was still just a missing person. Although by that first morning, we know that a homicide detective showed back up to Diana's apartment. Right. And Chris was there and he described a pretty intense situation that happened between him and law enforcement. Right. Right. They entered the apartment you know, unannounced, and Chris was in the apartment, and there was some tension in there. Uh, They took some things from the apartment, which makes sense. Like, I think a 
a laptop and a cell phone that wasn't being used and, and brought it in for evidence. He, I find is interesting, did not, well, they didn't leave any information of who they were and he doesn't believe it was Nasworthy. So he doesn't actually know who that was, right. which I thought was interesting, which is understandable. I mean, he was out of sorts at the time, trying, you know, in shock. Absolutely. Trying to get answers. So. Absolutely. The next thing that we, that we discover, Kim, or that we find out is on eight days later, August 5th. Yeah, eight days later after her car mm-hmm. was found. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, eight days later, uh, Diana was found by someone, and this is a trigger warning, and actually... If you go back and listen to the Unsolved Mysteries, they have a lot for uh, more information about when her body was found. It was very disturbing to listen to that again, wasn't it? I was. Oh, yeah. We didn't know any of that. So mm-hmm. I, when I listened to Unsolved Mysteries, I literally got like a visceral reaction because at that mm-hmm. point they had only released uh, a little bit in their news conference. And then I'm not even sure that Chris knew some of the details and if he did I can understand why maybe he's you know it's been a couple years and he maybe didn't want to share it or maybe had you know I I'm not sure but I didn't know until Unsolved Mysteries the yeah yeah it's um disturbing but so someone walking their dog their dog actually went off did they say it was about 100 feet about 75 feet. So the Diana's body was found off of Snoqualmie Pass, which is about an um, hour and a half north of Seattle mm-hmm. uh, and off of an exit. I think, you know, from what I could tell, it was a little bit rural. Uh, and again, her a dog walker came just by chance, pulled over, let her dogs out, and a, her dog went running to Diana's body and discovered the body mm. about 75 feet off the road. She had been buried in a shallow grave, uh, and they do go into that a little bit. Um, the, the detective talks about, you know, when someone goes to bury a body, they think it's easier than it is and so it's common for them to find you know when they find bodies like this they're not dug so deep she had been covered up with some leaves and stuff um and as we mentioned before her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the face and head so that has to be a very personable crime right that's someone deliberately wanting to hurt diana you know yeah so her body was found about six inches deep you know the 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 hole that they buried her in was about six inches deep which I think I agree with you Kim like I'm trying to imagine like digging that out and that you know summertime uh she was buried you know there was dirt and debris and leaves covered you know she was covered with it but the upper half of her body was exposed and was badly um, impacted by as you can imagine all the elements they were able to determine who she was based on the lower part of her body and some identifying Mm -hmm. tattoos it's also they weren't able to actually determine whether or not she was sexually assaulted but they think it was likely and the one thing that we found out also about in the uh, unsolved mysteries podcast was that they definitely had uh, a weapon that was used and they felt that it was a hammer 
and you and I had, I, we didn't know any of that. I mean, I think, I think that's yeah. kind of a revealing fact, the details about the, the body and then the, the weapon. After that occurred, you know, they really started to trace back and, and look at, you know, who might, who might be the perpetrator in this. And what we know right now is that whoever put Diana there had to have known the area. You don't just drive out an hour and a half out of a city and just drive off of a road, typically. Like, someone is going to feel comfortable enough with that spot. They had to have had the items with them in the vehicle or somehow pick those up to be able to do what they did, okay? And then the car, her car was returned back to Tacoma, a very specific place in Tacoma, uh, and that was for a reason also. What the detectives did then is start to trace, or what the detective did, um, trace the people in her life, right? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what we know about her was, you know, at the time she was dating someone, he was called her boyfriend. So they, of course, he was the one that reported her missing. According to Detective Nasworthy, her boyfriend was very forthcoming. He was a a defense attorney. And so I'm sure he knew, like, I need to be forthcoming. This is what I should, shouldn't do. But he, you know, gave up all of his information, his uh, records, phone records, uh, made full statements. He was very cooperative. And he passed a polygraph test. Mm -hmm. That was also... I think more information than we had been given about him. You know, this boyfriend was cooperative from the very beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. What we know or what, what's been reported is that, you know, Diana kind of had a particular preference for people she dated. They tended to be now, you know, businessmen or professional people. You know, I don't remember if Chris shared that, but I do know that was what was shared in the podcast. She didn't like to be alone. This was according to her mm-hmm. friend. Um, I don't really know who does. You know, I, I think I think most of us are kind of looking to to maybe end up with someone that we can be partners with or we can, you know, Mm -hmm. have a good fit with. And it sounds like that's what ultimately, you know, Diana was looking to really connect and and find like a long-term relationship. She had also been dating someone, so an ex-boyfriend who the situation had turned into more of like um, a stalker situation, it sounds like. And so I was really grateful that Unsolved Mysteries talked about that because we had actually heard that there was some situation going on. We had heard from the family that, you know, this guy had been stalking her. And so Unsolved Mysteries talks about it. They go into, you know, what they did to basically clear the ex boyfriend as well. And they go into Mm -hmm. a lot of detail about how they've cleared both of these men. Which was mm-hmm. so good to hear because we were like, we don't know. Uh, the you know news reports haven't shared anything. The press conference didn't share anything other than they're not suspects. And that doesn't leave us with a lot of information. So I'm grateful that they shared more on Unsolved Mysteries. For sure. What I want to say as well, Kim, uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about a theory here. Mm-hmm. What I want to add in before we do, because I think this is kind of, this is going to connect everything in terms of why the Unsolved Mysteries episode was called Flirting with Death. Mm-hmm. 
when Diana took the picture of the tomato and sent it to her current boyfriend and said, let's, you know, eat this for dinner later tonight, it's reported that she never actually picked the tomato. So the theory is that while she had made it seem as though they would connect again later that night, it sounds like in her mind she knew they weren't going to. Whether or not that's connected with the argument or disagreement from the night before and then whatever her actions were that day, there does seem to be kind of a connection or something going on that we'll talk about now in terms of a theory. Sure. I mean, we just don't know. We don't know and we can't say what Diana was thinking. Right. You know, if she sent that picture... Maybe she just wanted to show her pretty tomato off. Like, we just... Yeah. We don't know she did it in anger. It's so hard. Her son doesn't even know. Like, we just... There's so much we don't know here. Right. What we know is that Diana, for a long time, had been using dating sites. And in particular, Mm -hmm. dating websites, which you and I learned a lot about for the convention. Like, we had no idea. We have been with our husbands for so long like we don't know (laughs) these things but we (laughs) no we don't know these things and what's funny is we we have children now that know these things right and (laughs) we picked Maya's brain on the way up there man like and I'm sure at one point my jaw was like wide open I'm like I had no idea What's good is we did learn some things about how to be safer when you're on these websites. There's different avenues, you know, apps you can download to disguise your phone number, all these different things. So we did present that information when we were up there. Yeah, I mean, we, again, didn't know these things, learned a lot about the difference between an app or an actual website, and that there are many apps out there that you can just get the free versions what the benefit of the free version versus the paid version. And what we know is that the websites typically have more of sort of a long-term component to it. You can um, enter in more like specific preferences uh, and and actually have like long-term communication with people. So there would be like records of connections and communications, which might be different than like an app where you just swipe. And then once you're done swiping, uh, you can't go back again. And I'm Mm. just pretending like I know, but I do think there are, You know, what we know is that Diana was using websites. She might have also been using apps. And I think that a lot of them now have apps as well. But what we believe Mm. is that she was actually, you know, on the websites, spending time, especially over COVID, when everyone has more time, when all of us were home. That's why we started our podcast. Here's Diana Uh, on these websites and trying to connect with people. So that is the main theory here is that at least I think with law enforcement that she had planned to meet someone. That when she was at the hardware store, she was actually there likely wasting time in between meeting Mm -hmm. up with this person. And I guess the theory would be then that she did go to Lumen Field or she did maybe meet someone in that area. And it's kind of contradictory because at one hand we have her friend saying, 
this was during a time where she wasn't she was very cautious about meeting strangers Mm -hmm. but then our really only working theory here is that she must have met someone off of this site this stranger i mean i think that if it was if that is the case that she met someone it was likely someone that she trusted because we everything mm-hmm. that we know about her is that she was savvy she mm-hmm. knew who to trust she wasn't someone who was naive i think it was someone that if she did indeed go to meet someone even though she was very worried about it and this didn't fit her behavior pattern with the argument the night before and the fact that she had told her boyfriend she was bringing a tomato and she never picked it and Mm -hmm. the going to the ace hardware store it does appear as though she was meeting up with someone no one knows Mm -hmm. if she actually was and that's the tricky part of this is her behavior and everything previously would indicate that she wasn't dating anybody that she wasn't going to meet up with anybody but she was also an independent adult woman and has the right to do whatever she wants with her evening or her afternoon or it, it's just hard to know for sure. That's what's the hard part about this. And it is hard. One additional piece that we have this information about a, a piece of her lifestyle that is important that we want to be really mindful of when we're talking about is that she had a history of being involved with kink or with, you know, the kink community. And I know that right away, we sort of have a lot of us, not not all of us, have sort of pre-conditioned uh, ideas about what that means because um, it's so misunderstood in our culture and it's mm-hmm. sort of behavior that is on the, like, outlier of norms apparently or that's what we've been told to believe although kink has you know this type of uh, lifestyle has been around for a very very long time uh so she was involved with this community and what is frustrating about this and you and I talked about this in the convention and I picked up on it again in this episode was that there's this uh competing dichotomy in the law enforcement's presentation of Diana that she was living a very like peaceful Mm -hmm. calm lifestyle she had no background with drugs no violent background with anything other than maybe the stalker and she was involved in this other community which actually according to detective put her at risk And I'm getting like worked up already because everything that I know, which isn't that much because I just did more research this morning and I, you know, is that that is the complete opposite of this community. And that is what this community is trying Mm -hmm. to fight is this belief that, you know, it's unsafe and this discrimination that happens against like, you know, any community that's outside of the norm or any minority you know, that representation is really skewed and and this detective is misinformed. And that is all I want to say about it other than I wish he would correct himself on that. Because how can you say in one hand that, you know, she was living a peaceful life, everything was fine, and yet this, you know, she was flirting with death. Exactly. They even... 
you know, what was confusing to me is, uh, I think it was her friend that shared that she would only date, you know, she typically went to date a businessman or whatever. And then when the detective goes into who could have done this, who could have buried her out there like that, he describes like an outdoorsy man, <laughs> you know, I mean, he completely contradicts that. And so it, there's just so many questions here. And after I heard the Unsolved Mysteries, I really, I got a little offended for Diana because I don't, you know, she has every right to go on any online website and make relationships with people. And unless we have like specific information that someone from those sites did some harm to her, I think it's, you know, harmful to say that, you know, she it could have came from this. I think Chris even mentioned that she wasn't on the sites for a while. Or right, so they, they did just... actually obtain, and Detective Nasworthy speaks to this in the episode and also in the press conferences. If you want to Google his press conference that was part of the initiative, you can. Uh, her friend was also, her name is Monica. She was also in this press conference. They talk about getting search warrants to access her profiles and how they do that. You know, there's all sorts of logistics around trying to access these things. And so I think they got into one of them. Uh, and, and people that she had met on the profiles were asked to come forward also. So her current boyfriend at the time had actually met her on Match.com, I believe. So he told detectives, okay, look at Match.com. I think they were able to access Match.com. They were able to access another one, and I think maybe she hadn't been on there for a while. Uh, I don't think they've accessed all of the sites that she had been on, and that was the frustration okay. with her son, was that he really believes that there is information there. And that it's frustrating for him that it's been two years and no one's gathered it. Who knows if it's still there. But the the benefit of these websites, and this would actually align more. Let's say that this was someone that she trusted from a friend of one of these websites that she had been building a relationship with. It's so vital that we get access to that then. Because, and it aligns mm -hmm. with, if that is what happened that day, it would make sense that she, it was someone that she had been talking to for a while. She wouldn't have just gone out and randomly met up with someone. That wasn't her. Mm -hmm. uh, and so <sighs> I think, like you said, Kim, in the beginning, we have more information now. I was so grateful for the Unsolved Mysteries episode. I was so stunned when I saw it. I hit play and then I looked at the title and I thought flirting with death seriously like are we could we and I know it has to be like a bait they have to catch you and get you to like listen but there were mm -hmm. elements of this episode and of this case that is definitely victim blaming and also, mm -hmm. like, we have to be realistic that it could have been someone that from a dating site, it could have been someone involved in in the kink community. That is that is a possibility. Along with it could have been a stranger at Proctor or Community Garden as well. Or a stranger well. in the parking like, lot of Ace Hardware. Exactly. 
I am grateful that this uh, case, I know you are too, Kim, like we were freaking out, but it has now like national or even global recognition because Unsolved Mysteries mm-hmm. is not um, just a little TV show or a little podcast. It reaches a lot of people much more than we can or do. And yes. uh, while I want to feel like this kindred thing with them about this, I also feel like they dramatize it a little bit and uh, because they have to, like they have to draw listeners in. Uh, I And I'm grateful for all the extra information that the police and law enforcement were sharing in this that they did not give anyone access to before, or at least not us and not the public. Maybe the family did, but um, it really helped us put some more peace together to this like perfect Mm -hmm. storm of what was going on in 2020 and what was going on in Diana's life at the time and what was her wish for her future you know and her connections and who she was it really helped us put some of these pieces together more and you've actually reached back out to her son and informed him that they put that episode out I don't think he knew that they did. No, that, he right? didn't know about the episode. So we we aren't sure, but you know, this friend has become, like I said, the spokesperson, and I'm not sure that the family's in contact with anyone. The last I heard that, you know, the detective has not talked to Chris in over a year. Uh, and you know, this is such a complicated case because uh, you know, again, there's so much about the race element of it. And that's why Mm. we cover Diana, because we know that cases involving people of color are less talked about, less covered. We Mm. have, we'll be posting some pictures of Diana. We have a map that we created of her locations and where she went. And it makes like a perfect circle from, well, not really a circle, but it starts, you can see where it starts to where her car ends up at the end of it all. I, you know, we didn't put, we didn't put where her body was on that, did we? No, we just did the travel. Where she was that day. Where we knew where she was at that day and then where her phone pinged. Um, Which was interesting when we talked to those really nice ladies um, that are fans of our podcast now. Uh, (laughs) They had said where Lumen Field is, it's kind of Mm -hmm. like a hub uh, where you would catch buses to go to different areas so it's a like a hub central situation where her phone was last pinged which I thought was interesting could someone have been like transported in there and then she met them there uh and maybe that person didn't have transportation of their own and that's how I mean you and I Kim have thought of everything like how you know the logistics of Mm -hmm. it all we're not even involved in the case we're not family members we're not friends but we are people that you know live in these communities we are women we are um we have children and mm-hmm. we have friends and loved ones and the part that's frustrating about this is you did such a good job your passion was like contagious at the convention because And I had no idea, like, you and I did not know how this was all going to turn out. But man, you had like a fire under you at the convention. And every single person that came up to our table, 
you talked about Diana, you represented her, mm-hmm. you lit a fire under everyone who came up to the table, literally by giving them candles also, but uh, you, <laughs> I was stunned. I've never, I mean, I've seen you passionate. I've seen you fiery. Like you have sort of that, that way to you anyway, but to take the case of Diana and every single person that came up to our table, you shared her story. What was, like you said, so disturbing was that people had heard of her, had forgotten about the case, had never heard about the case. People from Auburn, people living in this town. It was shocking. And that's why we're doing this podcast. It's so that we can connect. I mean, that's just a given. You and I are dorks. We love spending time together. Right. Uh, We love scary stories. We love all that. How do we not, how do we not talk about the scary stuff that's happening around us that, you know, as women or people, we should be able to date whoever we want, whenever we want, uh, and and be safe and be able to come back home again. And well, not, and not be shamed, be shamed absolutely. for it, right? So, I mean, that's that's key to me. Like, let's not let's not put any shame on Diana at all. She was living her best life, doing everything, you know, that she has every right to do. Absolutely. So, uh, you're right that I, I, I started to get angry and I was hungry at the end of the day and tired and I wanted a drink. And, um, I think at one point I had like people around our table and I was screaming, do you know who Gabby Petito is? <laughs> yeah. Well, you should Absolutely. know who Diana is. Like, I mean, I was really, really getting into it there, but hopefully everybody felt that. And if you haven't heard of Diana, hopefully you can go back and listen to this Unsolved Mysteries case and go back and do your own research. And if anything, we're going to post, you know, Diana's picture on our Instagram and our Facebook. If you could just share that information, you know, we felt like if everybody left that day from the conference and just shared mm-hmm. Diana's picture, we were winning. You know, we did something good, you know, because our, our main goal was just to get Get her name out there, you know, because she deserves it and her family deserves it. Absolutely. I mean, this is also an open, like, Crime Stoppers investigation. I mean, the Tacoma Police Department is still working on this. So uh, we'll post a flyer of the Crime Stoppers information. I think there's also a reward as well for any information that that could Mm -hmm. lead to solving this case. We were also on Crime Door, and it was the first time we were asked to do that. Uh, We covered Diana as well, because we were just fresh off of being up there. And that's episode 20, um, right, Kim? On Crime Door? Okay. Right. So if you want to watch us on Crime Door, if you want to see us in action download Tubi, <laughs> go to Roku TV channel. I don't even know where you find that. I know the Tubi app is free. Um, there's also a lot of other mm-hmm. like shows on there. I've been watching other true crime stuff on there. And if you find Crime Door on there, go to episode 20. We're a couple segments in uh, and we, we can't believe still that we're doing this. And I know we're so grateful to have the opportunity to talk about Diana, we don't take this case and her story lightly. Uh, we hope we want to cover mm-hmm. it and in, in a way that represents who she was and who she is still and how many people love her and miss her. For sure. Kim, 
We did it. So we, uh, you know, we always encourage everybody to, if you haven't liked us on Facebook, it still shocks the hell out of me. We have 2.6 million followers no, now. On our... 2.6,000. <laughs> 2.6 million followers. We're almost like yeah. Teal Swan. I... Uh, we're, we're exactly, you know, I just remember when we had 100 and I called you, I'm like 100 people. We're basically crime junkies. We're, uh, no. And on Instagram, it's a little bit slower. We have, it's been moving up ever since our Perrydale episodes and ever since doing crime door, like Instagram has kind of slowly been climbing. And I think we're at like 485 people. Uh, but for some reason, Facebook, we just keep, you know, people are accessing that maybe, you know, there's all sorts of algorithm, but yes, share, you know, go to our Facebook, go to Instagram. If you have have show ideas message us on Instagram we read those we post those on our story Instagram story we send stickers uh so keep in touch yeah definitely keep in touch and we'll be back uh with another exciting episode hopefully we, we don't, don't know because you're but... getting a dog I'm never gonna see you again <laughs> I am I'm getting my baby next weekend so that is definitely why we wanted to get on here today because it's gonna be it's gonna be even louder I don't know weekend. I was hearing stuff today yeah. in my house so who knows what's gonna be on this episode but I love you Kim it was so exactly. good to see you today Bye. I love you too all right girl